0: Today's episode of The Big Picture on The Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA, and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics, fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can keep your local restaurants alive. Go to the slash WCK to donate, please. We're trying to raise 250000 If you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com backslash WCK. I'm Sean Fennessy.
1: I'm Amanda Dobbins.
0: And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about these goddamn trolls. This weekend, the big news in the world of movie watching is Trolls World Tour, a sequel to the 2016 film Trolls. Why is that so important and why are we going to be talking about it on this episode of this show? Simple. This is the first film that had been planned for a wide theatrical release from a major studio that instead went straight to streaming video on demand during the coronavirus. We're going to talk about why that matters what this means for the movie industry, and also what the hell is going on in this movie. Later, we'll bring in Rob Harvilla to talk about those trolls, parenting, and even a little optimism. But first, Amanda, Trolls World Tour. What does this release mean for the straight-to-video, on-demand future of Hollywood?
1: Everything and nothing. It's, it, I, it's obviously a big deal, and we're going to spend a whole Episode talking about it a little bit because we dared ourselves into this. I just feel like it's been a month of being like, the trolls, we're going to talk about the trolls. And now we actually have to talk about the trolls. It was like a dark Sunday night for me when I sat down to watch Trolls World Tour and my husband just started laughing at me. <laughs> uh, thanks to him. But it is also a, a test balloon for a new way of releasing big movies. And I think you have to take like 45 different grains of salt because the circumstances here are unusual in it is as much an exception as it is like the future of movie going. But there are lessons to be learned about how to release these movies and how people might respond to them on streaming services going forward.
0: Yeah, when I first floated the idea of talking about this, it's because I think I saw the trailer for the film before Onward. And I thought this seems deranged. Maybe it would make for a funny episode in the doldrums of April. And um yeah, we've we we achieved our dare and the the global pandemic right now led to this being really the only film of significance in our world. And I basically agree with your diagnosis. I think on the one hand, this is a huge deal. And we'll talk about sort of the mechanics and the logistics of what is and is not success for a movie of this scale and size that goes directly to your house. But I just don't see it being replicated fully in almost any other experience we've seen for the most part. Most of the major releases that we would have talked about here in a circumstance like this have been pushed to July or August or November or 2021 for that matter. And this is a unique situation where there had been so much money spent on marketing already by Universal and there was already so much brand awareness for the movie because this is a sequel and also trolls which you know i'm sure you own some trolls we'll talk a little bit about our emotional relationship to the troll dolls circa 1994 and so they kind of it made sense to move it into this direction now this is a very expensive movie by the standards of animation it's almost a 100 million dollar movie which means it has to make a lot of money to make its money back and it's harder to make your money back or so we've been told in the movie industry by releasing it straight to video, then by having people come into theaters. The theatrical distribution model is is essentially arranged now around big tentpole releases that can make back a great deal of its budget from having people come into movie theaters and then renting it online and then buying it once it becomes available digitally. There's an interesting conversation between Bill Simmons and Jason Blum, the head of Blumhouse, on his podcast last week, where they talked about the fact that if a movie like, say, The Hunt Goes directly to the iTunes platform after playing only one week in movie theaters. What that does is, it doesn't just carve out the theatrical distribution money; it carves out the money that where people would normally buy it digitally or rent it previously. Like it, it essentially takes away one piece of the the revenue puzzle that they're they're fixated on here. Um, You know, this movie cost approximately ninety million dollars to produce, another thirty million dollars to spend on marketing, according to Deadline Hollywood. Do you think we'll ever know if this is a quote-unquote major success?
1: No, because number one we're relying on Universal to give us the the tallies themselves and it's you know it's similar to a Netflix situation or anything where if you don't have the independent box office numbers to count, you have to take everything with some of the aforementioned grains of salt. I think also we'll just never know that it's a success because this is the first one. And there are so many kind of special circumstances. People are going to be more interested because it's like, oh, I could get this theater movie at home and I haven't done that before. And at 19.99, it is less expensive than taking my entire family to the movies. Also, it is a movie for children, and I think the patterns of how parents... Rent and screen their movies for children are very different than, say, other types of movies. And Rob, I think will probably talk a little bit about that. It's a sequel. And it's just, I mean, it's an extraordinary time. We haven't really settled into what the new model will be yet. So there could be lessons from this, but I don't think that we'll write like papers being like, this is the, you know, Trolls World Tour is the day that the Entire movie industry changed. I'm sure that means that, like, we will, and I'm totally wrong by having said that.
0: Well, so I, a couple of things to say about that. Those are all good points, you know, specifically the success of this movie and the way that the success is going to be communicated. I'll share with you some data points that are being reported by Universal directly to the trades about what is and isn't successful, but also this idea that um, this is the right movie for this time for families and how people make those decisions. We'll ask Rob about this, but for some families, let's say you have a three kids, and you have five people living in your house, and a dog, and you want to watch a new movie. You probably could just fire up Disney+, Plus, which is significantly cheaper per month, and find a film that your family has never seen before. Now, there may not be as much energy around the movie as the new Trolls film, and and the Trolls movie, as I understand it, is very well loved by kids, but you don't need to pay 19 That said... As you pointed out, it's a pretty good deal relative to what it's like to go to a movie theater where you'd be paying somewhere between ten and eighteen dollars for a single ticket just to get into that theater before parking, concessions, et cetera, et cetera. For me, nineteen ninety nine for a movie like this is ludicrous. I don't wouldn't normally want to watch this movie. I did not watch the original trolls when it was being released, but I also that grain of salt that we keep referring to here. I know that this movie isn't for me. So even as we make fun of it for the next 45 minutes, I want to just say that I understand that it's a kid's movie. I understand that even in the realm of animation that I'm often stumping for on this show, it's in a different kind of class. It's like, it's kind of for like five year olds and not for 11 year olds, if that makes sense.
1: Yes. But so one interesting thing about this being a movie for kids and how kids watch movies. So that 1999 figure that we mentioned is to rent the movie for 48 hours, not to buy it. And one thing that I am told about children not having any of my own is that they like to watch things again and again. I also watched uh, Trolls, the original movie, for the first time this week. And I was um, sending some impolite messages to our colleague Jason Gallagher as I watched it. Uh, Jason has been on this podcast before, and he identified Trolls as like a parent's nightmare. And he was explaining it to me a little bit as to why it's a parent's nightmare. And he's like, the first watch is fine. The 30th watch at 6.30 a.m. is when you really start to question your decisions as a parent. So it's something like this Trolls World Tour. If the kids expect to watch it 10 times, I mean, number one, you have to worry about the you know, mental health of all the parents in America. But number two, <laughs> how many times can you watch it in 48 hours? So that's 1999 for what? two watches the kids going to ask for it again and th- that starts to add up versus something like Disney Plus where i'm told that the kids are just watching frozen 2 every day already for the same price
0: well we're going to find out let's let's share some of those data points that universal so kindly shared with the rest of the world this is what they said this morning according to deadline hollywood troll's world tour did 10 times more than that of universal's previous digital opening day champion which was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which according to home entertainment sources did around between 2 and $3 million stateside on day one. Avengers Endgame, per sources, had a first digital domestic rental week of $30 million in flash reports, and the extrapolation off first-day numbers is the Trolls World Tour will far exceed the figure amassed by the Russo Brothers-directed sequel. Other indicators of success over the weekend, the Trolls World Tour is the number one title across all major on-demand platforms, smashing expectations on distributors including Amazon, Comcast, Apple Voodoo, Google YouTube, DirecTV, and Fandango now. So, that means maybe this movie made $50 million? I, if you smash a, the Russo Brothers directed sequel, is, that how, is would $50 million have been an incredible outcome at the box office? It would have been a very good outcome, I feel like, for that film. Um, I, I, don't, I just don't know how to measure any of this. And maybe if we see very soon Universal announce that it has decided to shift another film that it had on its release date, you know, theatrically into this format, then maybe that means this was a bigger success than we suspect it will
1: be. Yes. I think if we start getting every single movie on demand, something is working here. And I, I, and I basically, they figured out how to adjust their balance sheets and allocate money so that it can be a um, money making endeavor for them going forward. Though even there, if this is a mega success I don't trust that they will still make movies this way where you spend almost $100 million on the movie itself and then another $30 million marketing it because you have to figure if you're doing the numbers that there is a way to make those margins bigger going forward. So we might get a few more movies. But again, I just I think this is an exception. I'm sure I will be proved wrong, but.
0: It, it does raise something really interesting, which I think Richard Rushfield, the Hollywood journalist, pointed out last week, which is that one the one thing that Netflix has struggled to do on the movie front is create new IP, is to create franchises. Now, they've done it on TV. They've obviously done it with shows like Stranger Things, where you can buy a Stranger Things lunchbox and a Stranger Things notebook to bring to school, and you can buy all kinds of paraphernalia related to the show, which is a big part of, say, how Disney makes its money. You know, it's not just the movies themselves. It's the merchandising and then the rides, which are drawn to the amusement park and things like that. Netflix hasn't been able to do that. And I think we do talk about kind of like the budget and the energy And the marketing push that companies like Universal put around a movie like Trolls World Tour, which I think we take for granted because we're just like, I don't need to see Trolls World Tour. It's not important to me. But they're trying to build literally a whole universe around these characters. And it'll be interesting to see if studios continue to try to do that and spend that much money while also not having that theatrical experience.
1: My question is, if you don't have the theatrical experience, do you make it a movie? Because I think if you take the case of Netflix and Stranger Things, you could make Stranger Things into a movie or you could make it into a like four season long 40 hours. You you maximize the attention that you have. And Netflix is trying to maximize the attention. So if you're building a franchise, you might as well build it out. And that's kind of what I wonder. Will the next Trolls World Tour, if streaming works, be a movie or will it God help all the parents of America be like a 20-part series.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great point. It's one of those, in that push-pull between movies and TV that we're always referring to on this show, it feels like TV is kind of dragging the tug-of-war forward in, in terms of how we scope this out. like There's more likely to be a Trolls series on the Peacock after this than there is another Trolls movie in some way.
1: I should just add that there actually is a Trolls TV show. It is called Trolls. The Beat Goes On and it is on, wait for it, Netflix.
0: Okay, well, that settles that. Perhaps this will be the final Trolls film. So in order to talk about that, we're going to bring in Rob Harvilla. But before we do that, we have a new podcast here at The Ringer that we're really excited about. It's called The Wire Way Down in the Hole. Here's the trailer.
2: You come at the king, best not miss.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jamel Hill.
2: And I'm Van Leighton. We're proud to introduce our new podcast, The Wire, way down in the hole. We're going to recap, break down, and analyze every episode of the iconic HBO hit series, The Wire, starting from the beginning with season one. First episodes hit you on
1: April 15th.
3: Now, every podcast episode will include recaps, signature moments, foreshadowing,
1: key character deep dives, little-known facts, and also awards, such as We Love This Show But the Stringer Bell Fuckboy Award, my personal favorite, who won the episode, and more. So subscribe to The Wire way down in the hole on Spotify,
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you in
0: West Baltimore on April 15th. It's time to bring in Rob Harvilla, Ringer staff writer, dad, yes, rockist extraordinaire, you know it. C- critical thinker of the mu- world of music. Who better to talk to about Trolls World Tour? How are you, Rob?
2: I'm great. This is a tough beat for you guys. And I do want to acknowledge that. <laughs> to be childless. To be having to think seriously about Trolls World Tour. You know, from Mifune to Trolls. This is a tough arc <laughs> for you guys. Uh, I, feel, I feel bad for you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. The big picture contains
0: multitudes, just like Trolls World Tour. So before Mm. we get into the nitty gritty of this movie, and frankly, we're going to get into the nitty gritty. I just want to put that out there right now.
2: Uh, Oh, thank goodness. All right. Amanda, Rob, can you
0: guys tell me your relationship to Trolls, which were a series of (laughs) dolls released in the 1990s? Amanda, why don't you start?
1: I would love to. I had many Troll dolls. And I want to tell you, I I remember caring for them. I remember brushing their hair. There was one troll doll ballerina family and it had a little tutu. And that was like really a prized possession because that corresponded with my uh, very brief ballerina years. Hmm. And I have spent the last week trying to understand why I loved these troll dolls and why we all loved these troll dolls and like what the nature of the marketing push was that brought us to the troll dolls before even I think the Beanie Babies or the Tamagotchis. I think it was like an even earlier phase. I consulted with many uh, friends who were also alive during the early 90s and also had troll dolls. And everyone remembers loving them and has no idea why. I honestly, there's no history on the internet. They were, I believe, Danish dolls. They were a big deal in the 60s. And then there was a a marketing push in the 90s. And then we all had troll dolls. And it was inexplicable. But I, I loved these ugly little babies. And let me just go ahead and say, did some Google image searching. The troll dolls are so much uglier than the cartoons in in Trolls, the movie, they have really gotten an aesthetic upgrade, and we can thank DreamWorks for that, at least.
2: How large were they? Were they like uh, like GI Joe size or like Transformer size? This is probably not the right reference for you, but
1: I was going to say, sorry, <laughs> <Yeah, I laughs> <have laughs> <no laughs> <idea>. sorry,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> How large are Transformers? It? Uh, it they were like two to four inches, I would say, because there were like parent trolls and baby mm. trolls.
2: Yes, does that yeah, include the hair were- height? Right.
1: No, that's before the hair height. They were larger than what I remember GI Joes being. They were also very stout, which I guess trolls would be. But you know, they they had a little meat on plastic meat on their bones.
0: Jolly, do you guys, do you guys remember when we all went to college and got liberal arts educations, and then <laughs> got careers, and then yes. started talking about trolls on a podcast? This is Vaguely. an amazing time for us. Um, Rob, did you own any trolls?
2: I did not own any trolls. Uh, I my experience of Trolls is that my kids became obsessed with the soundtrack to the first movie. And I I dislike that soundtrack immensely. Honestly, I it's of all the movies that they got obsessed with, and then we put the soundtrack on repeat for months, like like the frozen movies and Moana and the second Lego movie with with Tiffany Haddish. Like I somehow avoided seeing the movie itself. So I just heard the soundtrack over and over. And I was like, why is Anna Kendrick Singing the sound of silence. Why is Zoe Deschanel rapping and also singing Lionel Richie's "Hello"? And then, but like, remember a couple years ago when Taylor Swift covered "September" by Earth, Wind, and Fire, and it was like the, the internet was aghast, and it was like this is the worst possible thing. I'm I'm here to tell you that the version of "September" that plays over the end credits of the first Troll movies it is sung by Anna Kendrick and and Justin Timberlake, and it is worse than whatever you were imagining taylor swift is is capable of like in in times of great despair i get a loop in my head of justin timberlake singing chasing the clouds away like he puts a little mustard on away he's like <laughs> away and it's just i'm not like a i'm i'm not a violent person by nature but i just i want to punch that song until it falls over that's how i feel that's where i am and so i that <laughs> no i did not own any troll dolls is the answer <laughs> your question. So I I did watch this first film, Rob.
0: Did you go back and watch it or are you just so familiar with the soundtrack that you stuck with that?
2: Oh, of course I watch. I'm a professional, you know, and so, yes, (laughs) I I, I, it was. It's a very macabre uh, setup, is it not? Like, that's yikes.
1: Rob, was this the first time that your family had seen Trolls the movie? Did you just exist in the soundtrack only universe?
2: No, and I'm trying... Most of the movies that my kids see, I take them to in the theater and somebody else must have done that for the first troll movies. I don't know if that was my wife or their grandma or whatever, but like I, they did just mainline that soundtrack for months. And I think like watch it on Netflix or something like a few years ago, but I did not see it with them originally. Like I had no familiarity with the plot, but, but they knew it. Of course, very well. They were happy to revisit it to get a refresher. They said before we watched this new one, and so we went back to and it. was like It was like seeing it for the first time for them. They were they were delighted anew. So, uh, yes, this the the first
0: movie is very bad and very strange. Um, it concerns the ongoing war between the trolls and the Bergens, mm-hmm. which are some sort of. Monster oaf-like creature, I suppose, that are portrayed in part by Zoe Deschanel and Christopher mintz Um I, I, I did was, Were Bergens a part of the troll mythology? Amanda, is that is that some sort of Danish mythological reference?
1: Let me be clear that I know nothing about troll mythology beyond what's in this movie. <laughs> I just had some pieces of plastic with bright neon hair that I combed. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I enjoyed the Bergens. I think there's going to be a divide on this podcast between the Bergens, the pro Bergen supporters and the people who are glad that the Bergens were dispatched with after the first film. I guess I just really like annoying villains in movies. See Mm. also the minions. I'm not really sure.
0: This is sort of the Bernie versus Biden of the big picture. You know, this is (laughs) this is as close as we get to the intellectual and emotional divide between the future of the party. Um. I, you know, the first movie is just feels like what I think it, it, it lived up exactly to my expectation of it, which is that it was kind of a noisy, annoying movie that seems immensely distracting if you're four years old and do, is sort well is a, capable of doing its job, but doesn't bring to the table a lot of the things that Rob, you and I have talked about on the show a bunch of times about like Pixar and even some right. slightly more sophisticated DreamWorks or um, other Universal properties that do all this animation stuff. This is like the felt like. It's not a stupid movie, but it felt like a lowest common denominator kind of a movie in the way that it's edited, in the way that it's arranged, in the music that is chosen. And I, I, I can't imagine that it really effectively entertained parents while also entertaining kids. I wonder if that's okay. Like, is that a category of movie for parents where they're like, you know what, this one is for them. This one's not for me. And are you at peace with that?
2: I think that's definitely a category, and I prefer that, honestly, a lot of the time. To as you say, like the prestige, like Pixar division, where it's like emotional annihilation. Like I would rather be confused and like a little aesthetically offended than like depressed when I walk out of the theater with my kids. And so I'm I'm happy to just sit there and just drink a giant cherry coke, you know, and then just eat the ice that is vaguely cherry coke uh, flavored, and just sort of tolerate like a a lesser a less prestigious movie that's just sort of random and loud and ridiculous versus one that's trying to make me very explicitly depressed and so i i i cannot enjoy trolls as a movie but i can enjoy the experience of trolls comparatively like just fine
0: what about parenting during quarantine and and the movie parenting that (laughs) happens here tell us about what you're showing your kids How much are you <laughs> participating? How much of it is just please just go watch this and leave me alone? And how much of it is let's have an experience together?
2: I think you you try to get to that let's have an experience together place, and it is it, that very rarely happens. And when it does <laughs> happen, it turns out to be a disaster. Like I, for us, I think Disney Plus is pretty dominant in this moment uh, between Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar. Like I think the movie we've watched that we've enjoyed collectively the most was Tangled. Which is I don't. That's not a Pixar movie, correct?
0: It's Dis- like, it's just Disney Studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah very it's just, good it, though. Very good movie. It,
2: it was. I mean we we enjoyed it very much. And so the 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 second tier like deep cut aspect of Disney Plus is serving us very well in this moment. I one thing that we've realized, and this was pre quarantine, was a, a PG rating in the eighties was dramatically different from a PG rating here in the 2000s. I the worst parenting decision that I have made to date was trying to show my kids they are 6 and 9 we we started watching Spaceballs which as it turns <laughs> out just has like it is a PG rated movie and I I looked it up and it, it has just like Quentin Tarantino levels of swearing and I'm like sitting there and I'm, I'm just sort of braced. It's like, I'm just going to fast forward when we get to the, how many assholes we got on this ship scene. Like that was what I was worried about. We ended up bailing within like five minutes and my kids like still bring up that movie. We started watching where Darth Vader was really short and he had glasses and he had a penis laser that he would use to <laughs> shoot dudes in the penis. And I was like, this, this is the worst thing that I've ever done. <laughs> we watched, we watched short circuit in full, you know, a like Johnny five, like the 80 short circuit, like they swear all through short circuit. And also Fisher Stevens is in just straight up brown face. Fisher Stevens is just playing an Indian person. And it's like, I think my blue, that blue passed my kids, thankfully. But I just, I'm, one thing about Disney plus is it's safe from both a quality standpoint and also just like a, 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 a content standpoint it's like it's just it's doing the work that apparently i am unable to do in terms of not exposing my kids like terrible shit i will say it
0: would be absolutely remarkable if one of your children turned to you during short circuit and said dad why is fisher <laughs> stevens in brownface <laughs> that would be the greatest moment in your children's lives i
2: love that guy how could he do this <laughs>
0: uh yeah that's i I guess i hadn't thought of that maybe that's why we're we're so depraved maybe that's why me and you and amanda have such uh intense grotesque taste because we were exposed to these movies in our youth
2: yeah i mean i we want to show them goonies but i'm also terrified to show them goonies like i'm just i'm just assuming there's a stuff in goonies that i have totally forgotten that's going to be you know just undo five years of of cultural sensitivity
0: amanda do you have any questions about parenting during quarantine
2: (laughs) with screens
1: how much are you re-watching stuff?
2: Oh, let's see. Um I can't think what are they watching right now? They're watching like Minecraft stuff. Like they're getting into YouTube, which is like super harrowing, and like we're trying to monitor that in any way. They just want to watch video game speed runs. And like somebody who does like Super Mario, like comedy routines, like just with eight bit oh Mario, God. and it's 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 that it's it's horrifying, and you're just you're just watching for this slippery slope until they become like alt writers or whatever. And so I there there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing that we're re-watching as such. Like it's we for my son's birthday, he turned nine, like he wanted to watch Frozen two again, and so we had taken them to the theater to see that in November, and we watched that again. But it's. It's not to the level of something that they want to see over and over again. And and like more to the point, like it's in this moment, they're not being marketed to at all. They're watching Mm. Disney Plus. They're watching Netflix. They're watching YouTube to some extent. They're not seeing even trailers before movies in the theater. They're not watching TV ads, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, like even down to the level of like we haven't gotten Happy Meals in a while. Like they don't know like what the new movies are and they wouldn't, they wouldn't have clamored to see trolls world tour. And again, they loved the first movie. They listed the soundtrack for months. They would have loved to have seen it, but they wouldn't have known that it was coming and they wouldn't have advocated for it unless I came to them and said, what do you want to watch this? Like I was trying to think of the last movie that came out in theaters that they would have been genuinely upset if they hadn't seen. And it probably is just frozen too. like Sonic, maybe, but it's it's, it's weird that even before quarantine, like just the way that things are marketed to kids now is just, I, I don't know what it is they know and what it is they want. And it's just, it's very different from my time at least, which again was like Saturday morning cartoons and like catalogs and, and happy meal toys. And just the, the way that kids find out about these movies theoretically is, is totally different now.
0: That's such an interesting point, And it's such a great segue to a conversation about this movie, Rob, I here's what I picture. You pull up iTunes uh-huh. and you pull you rent Troll's World Tour and mm-hmm. the title screen appears and then yep. you push your children out of the room and say daddy has work to do <laughs> and then you watch the movie alone furiously taking notes the entire time do, is that yes. was that the case
2: with with a feather pen or something <laughs> I'm just I am absolutely baffled by the fact that this movie is about rockism, that it is very explicitly—it's not a metaphor for anything. It's not like a vaguely reminiscent of thing. This is a movie about musical genres personified as trolls arguing with each other about how pop music ruined everything. It is this. I am. This is just as confused and as I have as I have ever been by a piece of of children's entertainment, and also as marketed to personally as I have ever been by a piece of children's entertainment, including when I was an actual child.
0: Amanda, can you just briefly try to explain the story of (laughs) Trolls World Tour before we get into the thematic aspects of this story?
1: Yes, I'd love to. So uh, Anna Kendrick, who is known as Queen Poppy, which Pop just it's right there in the name for you which i realized about 30 minutes and one cocktail into this viewing uh is 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 queen over the land of the of the trolls that we saw from the original trolls and they've learned that drugs are bad which was the lesson of the first trolls and they're all very happy and then within the first five minutes she learns that their troll kingdom is not the only troll kingdom and that there are other troll kingdoms in the world uh they are The rock trolls, the funk trolls, the classical trolls, the country trolls. Who am I forgetting? Reggaeton. Were they their own world?
2: They seem to be just roving bands. The reggaeton, K-pop, and yodeling trolls are sort of itinerant, you know, sort of wandering types. I don't think they have an established uh, kingdom.
1: Yes. And so... (laughs) Sure. Yes, that's, that is correct. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, sorry. So Poppy learns this because she's invited by Queen Barb, who's the head of the... Oh, they're techno-trolls. The techno-trolls. Yes, we forgot yes. about the techno-trolls, as did this movie. But anyway, uh, Queen Barb, the queen of the rock trolls, just definitely the rockingest name that you've ever heard, Barb, <laughs> invites Poppy to be a part of some party or something, and Poppy, being a pop troll thinks this is a lovely invitation like a well-meaning invitation and sets out to meet barb and then learns that barb and the rock trolls are crusading to take over all of troll land and unite all of the trolls under the banner of hard rock
0: that is, is that- a, that's a solid breakdown of the story now i think if this were a different podcast say slightly more of the chapo trap house variety this would be about how this is a film about colonialism and about the way that aggressive dominant societies attempt to overtake other societies, steal their land and steal their resources. In this case, we're going to talk about this movie as an act of music criticism. And that's a good reason why Rob is here. Rob, you indicated that this movie is literally about rockism. And can you like help, help even help Amanda and I, two learned culture journalists,
2: mm-hmm.
0: understand what rockism and optimism and all of that stuff is can you give us a pocket history of those things and why those things matter to trolls world tour and queen poppy and barb and all of these
2: other characters i should have anticipated this uh and and should have agreed just refused to do this actually okay (laughs) all right too late sheesh all right rockism is a 10 plus years rock critical debate about rockism is the idea that only rock and roll rock and roll is the only real kind of music that that sad people with guitars and specifically sad white men with guitars is the only real the only emotionally pure sort of music and it is just superior in every conceivable way to any other kind of music including pop music disco hip hop it's just it's genuine and it's it's an actual real emotionally pure kind of music and rock, rockism is just sort of that prejudice against everything else and conversely poptimism is the idea that pop music Including hip hop, including Latin music, including any other genre you'd care to name, can be just as emotionally and sociologically and philosophically viable as rock, rock music. You know, and like Beyonce can be just as important as Radiohead and all that kind of thing. Like it's a Khalifa Santa in an essay in the New York Times. Like, what was it like the mid 2000s? Yeah, something like I want to that. say it's 06, 07. Sort, sort of the person who brought that debate from various message boards that I don't care to recall at this time to the New York Times. And then it sort of went mainstream. And we've sent the last, you know, 10, 15 years sort of playing it out. And at this point in 2020, like I rockism has been sort of vanquished and Poptimism, you know, the idea now that Beyonce is the both the biggest star in music and also the most critically respected star in music, you know, Pitchfork, you know, which once focused on indie rock and had sort of, you one would argue, like a raucous type mindset, will now review like all the Taylor Swift albums and stuff like that. Like Poptimism won. And now, theoretically, any genre of music is accorded the same respect and given the same sort of critical appreciation that only you know like neil young used to get you know 20 years ago so that's the basic idea so i've wasted my yeah. life sometimes yeah
0: i, I just think. i but, it, it does underscore some of the more <laughs> painful aspects of how we've spent a lot of our time in the last 20 years yeah Th- this movie though does seem authentically concerned with the questions that you just underlined and i don't know if that is a function of the screenwriters we just big pitchfork readers circa 2007, or if this is just a happenstance issue, this sort of idea that beyond the realm of, of critical thought, there is a, a kind of human to human debate about like, is, is there something valuable about Britney Spears or is it just trash? I think people right. do have that conversation even outside of the, did you read that long essay in the New York times, uh, yes. aspect, but this world of trolls, which obviously was, it ba- the first film is basically a jukebox musical in which a lot mm-hmm. of, very well-known songs, as you mentioned, like "The Sound of Silence" and "September," but also some more obscure Pitchfork-esque songs. There's a Junior Senior song Junior Senior in, that, f- in right. that first film, um, and then Justice. Ju- yeah, there's a Justice song, which is, I mean, they're really pushing the boundaries of Pitchfork circa 2006 in many ways here in the Trolls universe. But in this film, you know, the the, the film opens with a Daft Punk song, and that's the the we get one more time, and a, and we get a a, a like a trap drop moment where everybody Mm -hmm. all the trolls which again are on molly the trolls are on molly in the first film and they're on molly in the second film losing their shit
1: are are the trolls on molly or are are the trolls molly
2: i think it's the latter i forget the drug uh subtext of the first film honestly like they're on the the theme of the first film is drugs are bad
1: yeah because the bergens just want to eat trolls then that's their thing and they like their whole society is organized around trollstice where they all eat trolls which is take molly and then at the end they learn that happiness is inside you and you don't have to eat trolls aka take drugs in order to be happy
2: oh that blew right by me i thought drugs are great this whole time okay so some dangerous
1: (laughs) yeah some dangerous implications with respect to uh uh SSRIs, but we'll move past that. Vaccinations,
2: okay? yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Sure. okay.
1: Just
2: moving Great. on.
0: <laughs> We're already way off the rails here. Um, I think that this movie is very conscious of what it's trying to do. I think it is very much like it feels like it's been reading the texts. Amanda, I feel like you know a lot about these issues but are also repelled by them. What was it like to see <laughs> in an animated movie, which you're already or not the biggest fan of, A lot of the annoying barroom debates that you lived through in the 2000s between uh, men of a certain age.
1: It was a very similar experience of just being like, I don't want to be here. And I wish we could just go listen to the music that I like, which is not anything that you guys are discussing. No, it's interesting. I mean, I think ultimately they just decided that they wanted to teach kids about more types of music than pop. And specifically, possibly types of music that are available to license by the Universal Music Group. Just a guess, and so I, it is very funny to me that the writers decided that the way that they would just teach kids about music, other than I don't know what what's this the Whistlers, the what? What's the band called, Rob? That starts with a W.
2: Duh.
0: It doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> it's okay. I was trying to make a hip kids reference. Whatever. Uh, Sorry, sorry.
2: We are not very hip over here, unfortunately.
1: To broaden kids' musical horizons um, is to latch on to things that people were arguing about at like Scratcher in 2005. (laughs) I mean, did someone... Have we checked the story credits at some point? Is it someone who once upon a time was on the message boards? It seems like the only way that you could get... To, to this script, because it is so specific and such a strange right. pull after being like a, going from a movie about don't take drugs to, you know, don't believe in rockism is like those are the two pressing issues facing children.
2: Right. Like halfway through this movie, Anderson .Paak like, sings a song called It's All Love in which he explains cultural appropriation. To children like he explains that pop music watered down and like stole soul and R&B and like he ad-libbed something about publishing about having his publishing stolen and it's like I'm not let's not get into the debate about the plot of Frozen 2 but like the point of Frozen 2 is that actually they're the bad guys actually Arendelle are the bad guys and like actually white people are the bad guys and they sort of separated every other culture on earth and dominated it and it's basically the same message here. It's it's just it's Queen Poppy and her fellow pop trolls realizing that, like, actually, we are the people who caused everyone to be separated and depressed and miserable. And that's a hell of a thing for a nine year old and a six year old to process. And I can't really say with any confidence whether or not they processed it. (laughs) But like this is again, this is as explicit a message as a kids movie has tried to get across to my kids, you know, in, in the decade that they've been around. I think there's an important pair of people that were involved in the making of this movie.
0: So the film is directed by Walt Dorn, who is the co-director of the first Trolls movie. It's co-written by Jonathan Abel and Glenn Berger. They have worked on a number of animated projects in the past, including the Kung Fu Panda movies and SpongeBob, and they're well-known in this space. And then the other two names are Maya Forbes and Wallace Wolodarsky. Are you guys familiar with either of those people? No. So Wallace and Maya are married. They are a writing couple. Wallace is a, a dear friend of Wes Anderson. He is appearing in the French Dispatch, and he has a number of writing credits over the years, some for children's movies, but he brings a slightly more high-minded, allegorical approach to those movies. He wrote a movie called Monsters versus Aliens, which was not a huge hit. But is an important movie in that respect. He wrote a Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie. He is the co-writer of A Dog's Purpose and A Dog's Journey. Um, he he earns his bones by bringing these oddly literary conceits to movies that, on their face, seem very stupid. Now, do you, Rob, as a parent, I know you were joking when you said that maybe your nine-year-old and six-year-old didn't totally grasp the colonialist aspect of this story but do you think that by osmosis they might greater understand the value of reggaeton or classical music in the context of the world after seeing a movie like troll's world tour
2: I mean, it's entirely possible. It's just When I had kids, my hope was that when I took them to movies, they would have these incredibly precocious insights into the movies that would sort of increase my understanding. And that totally hasn't happened at all. I have no idea what they're thinking, but they just have nothing interesting to say after we get out of movies like this. Like I, In this movie, like Brass Monkey plays for like 10 seconds, and my six-year-old is like, I actually like this. And that's about as close as you're going to get to like an in-the-moment reaction to something like this. But I, I think it's entirely possible you know, I I I don't know if my kids had really grappled with the notion of there being different styles of music, really, you know, and it's I, I don't know if that's a reflection of our streaming era and it's just all the same to them, or it's just this is the way a kid emotionally develops naturally. But I I don't know if they'd ever thought of it that way. And and maybe this will cause them subconsciously to start thinking about it that way. I'm not opposed to that idea, but it's just You know what this reminded me of, and I'm sure this happened to you too, is at the end of Hotel Transylvania 3. Remember that one? Um, Sure. uh, Yeah, Adam Sandler is a vampire, right? He's like a nice vampire and he's got his nice monster friends. And like they're on a cruise in the third movie. Like it's an amusing juxtaposition. At the end of the movie, they have to fight a sea monster. And the only way to fight the sea monster is to DJ. And so Adam, sure. Sandler's, Adam Sandler's son-in-law, who is played by Annie Sandberg, like, has to find like, the perfect hits to DJ to repel the sea monster, and he settles on the Macarena. And this is a moment when I'm sitting in the theater, and it's like, okay, now now I'm really unhappy, and I'm like chewing on my ice, and it's like I'd really like to not be here anymore. And and I'm, I'm I'm in that moment, I'm just worried about the Macarena being implanted in my kids' heads, the way that the Troll soundtrack was, and like, thankfully that didn't happen. But it's there's also a movie called Rock Dog, in which a dog. That lives in a Tibetan monastery and is being groomed by his father to carry on the family tradition of protecting the Tibetan monastery against wolves. But what the dog really wants to do is be in an ACDC <laughs> rock band. I looked this up on Wikipedia. This is the truth. He wants to be in an ACDC type rock band, and his dad disapproves, yada, yada. At the end, he uses the power of rock to repel the wolves from the Tibetan monastery and, like, they bring about understanding. Like, this is the kind of thing that my kids are dealing with. With on 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 a, on a daily basis, and I I have no idea how this is implanting them in like a genre and like a musical sense, but it's it's all just incredibly bizarre and often upsetting to me. So,
1: oh, I I'm right just now. speechless. I I mean, you could <laughs> do a whole you could do a dissertation about the political undertones of Rock Dog, but we don't need to go down that particular road. A lot either. going
2: on in Rock Dog, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, okay. It's a rich text, as they say.
3: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it: first, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750 thousand pods at this point. So, let's say you're searching for the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or the Ringer NBA Show. Once you find them, click on the Follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say Podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up, separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then there's 1.5 times, 2 times, and if you're completely insane, 3 times. Anyway, Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world even has a CarPlay feature that's pretty cool best of all it's free download spotify on any device and you're good to go should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on spotify well i don't want to app shame you but the answer unfortunately is yes make the move listen to podcasts on spotify back to yours
0: I really like how you just completely unraveled there, Rob. I, I did. Think you just, you just just completely. You've just felt the crisis of children's I... entertainment <laughs> in in real time. This the quarantine era,
2: my friend. I just <laughs> I need I need outlets. Here I am. Thank you for your uh, time.
0: <laughs> well, it's a I, the way that this movie decides to pursue its story is really strange on a lot of levels, but. Obviously, this franchise has a lot of power, and maybe that power is just money, but there are are a number of well-known people participating in in this film to the point of borderline confusion. I don't know if you guys, when you see a movie like this, spend time trying to determine who is voicing which character, if that's a game that you like to play. It's a game that I like to play because I'm a sad little man. Um, Amanda, yes?
1: It's actually one of the reasons that I like watching these things at home because I can never place them in the movies. Sean and I sat through Doolittle and I spent like 45 minutes trying the whole time trying to figure out who the parrot was. And then it was my beloved Emma Thompson. And I was just like furious at myself that I couldn't recognize (laughs) Emma Thompson's voice as a parrot. So I did. I liked watching. I just had the cast list up and I was like, oh, you know, that's so-and-so. This is it's the one plus of watching Trolls World Tour at home.
0: Yeah, so you guys have mentioned that Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake are sort of the stars of this film. Um, If you're wondering why we downgraded Anna Kendrick out of our 35 Under 35 episode, you can blame the Trolls franchise, which is very successful, though not very interesting. James Corden, who is always seems to be a part of these absolutely terrible projects, is a significant figure here. Uh, Rachel Bloom plays Queen Barb. She is um, Rachel Bloom is an acquired taste. And she's really going for it as Barb. I would say she's not entirely my taste, but she at least is, she, she gives a lot of effort, I would say. Ozzy Osbourne, who is virtually unrecognizable and utters like one line, it appears He's actually Barb's really father.
2: recognizable. I, that Is was he? the one that I got. Oh yeah, it's nobody mumbles like Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> at that point. It's like it's it was either somebody doing an extremely good Ozzy Osbourne impression or it was the genuine articles. I I like Amanda. I struggle to get the. I try and get the names and I n- almost never can. But Ozzy, Ozzy was a gimme for sure.
0: There's a lot of other luminaries here. George Clinton is here. Mary J. Blige is here. (laughs) Kelly Clarkson gets a standout moment. Any watchers of Top Chef on this podcast right now? There was an extraordinary moment on Top Chef last week in which Kelly Clarkson appeared on Top Chef as a guest judge hawking Trolls World Tour and the winner of the Quick Fire Challenge won two tickets to the world premiere of Trolls World Tour. Which is just an aggressively offensive <laughs> prize wow. at the end of a quick fire challenge to give yes. to an adult human. Um, nevertheless, I don't think that premiere actually took place. Sam Rockwell's in this movie. For Christ's sakes, Jamie Dornan, Esther Dean, the the songwriter, Charlene Yee, the the hipster actress, Keenan Thompson. Probably most absurd, to me at least, was Gustavo Dudamel. Do you guys are you familiar with Gustavo Dudamel?
1: Yes, he's the conductor of Valley Philharmonic. Exactly he's right. a luminary in the classical music world, which was wildly disrespected in this movie. <laughs> are you kidding me? They literally played five seconds of Beethoven's Fifth, and that's it. That's literally, they didn't come back. When they united all the people at the end, no mention was made of classical music. What are we teaching our children?
0: Rob, that's called lighting the wick. What I just did there. I had a strong <laughs> feeling that Amanda would have rapport. some expert <laughs> rapport. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, it's the 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 guess here are fascinating. I mean, Iconopop, the the are they Russian? The Russian pop duo return? Oh, probably, probably uh, not. But sure. <laughs> Where are they from? Do you think? Do you think they're like Westworld style
2: hosts? I don't. know. I would have said I would have said Scandinavia <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, Westworld is the right answer, actually. Yeah, season two Westworld, just like deep in the the doldrums. Yeah.
0: Anthony Ramos, who many people will know from Hamilton, uh, is King Trollex, the the techno troll who opens the film singing his rendition of One More Time. You know, I I would really, truly like to see a video of Daft Punk signing the licensing agreement for the use of One More Time in full robot regalia. I was going to say, are they wearing the helmets? Yeah, They are absolutely wearing the helmets when they sign that deal. Um, This movie is utterly confounding you mentioned brass monkey getting five seconds there's a significant twist with yodelers which which i guess they're 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 ultimately not trustworthy characters they're i I don't know I'm, i'm i'm spiraling out here myself i i this is a very very strange movie and
2: i feel like it would be very confusing for a child was it confusing was it confusing i think they had a great time but again they have a great time because like they think the cloud is funny i believe the cloud is voiced by the director and is a mm. callback from the first from the first movie and like they they thought the cloud was funny like the little inch the rainbow inchworm dude who who poops glitter Or something periodically, like they thought he was very funny. Like it's, it's, they totally enjoyed themselves. You know, it was, it was absolutely worth $20. But yeah, it's just the sop to rock critics level. Like people have been clamoring for Kelly Clarkson to make a country album for like 10 years. Like it's, it's, that's been the big rumor that she's going to go full Nashville and just do a full country album and just blow everybody away. And for it to actually transpire in a trolls movie is just another bizarre intersection of my parenting life and my critical life that I'm sort of at a loss to even begin to grapple with.
1: I thought she was pretty good though. I was curious if you have to live in one world, which world Mm. are you going to live in?
2: Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm with the classical world does sound interesting, you know, when it's not on fire and there's just like, I mean, it was demolished. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing pretty that's kind of disrespectful and so i but i i think the funk mothership is actually the right answer though like it's like sartorially you know it's, it's pretty fascinating and it's I, I i would i would hang out in in funk land as i believe it was known yes i don't remember but yeah i
1: agree with that except i, I that seems like where the fun is and the music that i would most want to have but i did appreciate that the vistas of of country world or whatever it right was called. right the, you know?
2: the tumbleweeds and yeah, yeah and so forth.
0: Yeah. I was confused by the presence of Mary J Blige as the queen of funk. I would, you know, Mary J Blige is many things, very mm-hmm. talented among them, but yes. not a funk artist? At least mm. not in the way that George Clinton is a funk artist? Right. I guess funk is is a catch-all for R&B and soul and other things. And so and, ba-
1: and and hip hop which they try to bring in almost Im- immediately, which is like a it's a it that's not my favorite part of the movie is how they just shove all black music into like one spaceship, um, you know, and they do give the speech about how it influenced every single other type of music. But, you know, they also they do not play a rap song in this entire movie. And I understand that it's, I guess, a, like movie for children or whatever. But come on.
2: They well, didn't Kenan have Zoe Deschanel. Does, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Keenan Thompson raps, too. I mean, they, they have like original raps. But it's bizarre that no rap songs have been licensed as these sort of tentpole, you know, getting into the racial dynamics of this movie is seems almost absurd. But you're right. It's very weird that all of the the native black forms of music (laughs) are just bundled under something called funk, which even if you had to choose the one genre to bundle everything under, even that seems like absurdly. uh, um, I don't I don't know. Just like insensitive somehow. It's just it's not it's not ideal.
2: Should have gone with the Grammy definition of just urban, just call everything urban. Would <laughs> have solved everything.
0: So, uh, this movie, like so many movies in recent memory, turns on um, the song Barracuda, <laughs> which, uh, you know, Jessica McLeish last yes. month on The Ringer wrote a piece about how, how Barracuda became the go to song for scenes of female empowerment and did not even mention Trolls World Tour because we didn't know that the movie was going to be appearing in it. But you know this the heart song has been used in in Charlie's Angels and and the Jessica Jones TV series and uh it finds itself here again. I I love Heart. Um I'm sure. I'm I'm, f- I'm fond of Barracuda like any other human being. I could stand to never hear it again in a movie. Um what do you, what uh, Rob what do you th- what do you think about this usage?
2: Yeah, there's like a dozen songs that equal rock in a movie and this movie has them all basically, right? Like it has there's Crazy Train is that the very first one that Barb, yes. Queen Barb sings? Right, right. So yeah, it's you gotta do Crazy Train. You gotta do Barracuda. It's it's yeah, the the rock canon is is shrinking down to like half a dozen songs at this point, and it's a little disconcerting. Amanda, any thoughts on
0: Barracuda?
1: I enjoy the music of Heart and Barracuda. I don't understand really any of the music choices in this movie. I mean, I do. There are some classics, but even the presentation of pop music right. in this film, I kept being like, when are we getting to a good song? When are we getting to one of like the, the, whether it's, I mean, I understand why we didn't get the Beatles and it has something to do with licensing. And I understand that at some point, even with Universal behind you, you run out of money. But if all we're getting is LMFAO, I, I, what's happening? What are we teaching our children?
0: This is where I wanted to take this conversation. So there is early in the film a kind of trolls mashup moment in which they all sing seven songs across three minutes. There's something that happens in the first film, it happens in the second film. In the second film, the songs that they all sing together include The Spice Girls Wannabe, Who Let the Dogs Out, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch's Good Vibrations, "Gangnam style, and LMFAO's party rock. Now I think that you could make the case that those are some of the worst popular hits of all time. I like Wannabe. <laughs> Everything else should be lit on fire. And that is supposed to be representative of the spirit of the pop trolls. Hmm. Rob, what do you make of this?
2: I The Good Vibrations inclusion was most fascinating to me. That feels like a troll is a verb. To, to our friend Marky Mark. <laughs> I, I do like the fact that they do that mashup and Kelly Clarkson immediately throws them in jail. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what happens. Plot-wise, you go into jail and, and the alt-country troll, as played by Sam Rockwell, uh, busts them out of jail. Like it's, yeah, that's, that was the right response to that medley by, by country troll Kelly Clarkson. And so I, I, I agree with her decision.
1: And, and then Sam Rockwell does sing Patsy Klein, which I appreciated. Uh-huh. Yes. One of the good song choices. But I just don't understand how you're making a whole movie about honoring everyone else's types of music and we all influence each other and respecting genres or whatever. And then you have an original song written by Justin Timberlake, I assume, to end it that is not on the level with the great pop classics that i expected to end this film, let's just put it that way.
2: No, the original songs were bad. And like uh, to to be fair, i thought the original songs in Frozen 2 were trash when i saw that in the theater and then after hearing it Non stop for three months. Now I love the soundtrack to Frozen 2, actually. But yeah, like I, and as the movie climaxes and all the genres of music go back together, I was sitting there thinking, what song are they going to use to represent every single genre of music existing in harmony? And it turns out, you know, to be just a fully corporatized, like Justin Timberlake song that I never want to hear again. I'm like, actually, that's probably accurate in a real world sense. But yeah, it's, I, they sort of backed themselves in the corner where there was no existing song that be, could, could begin to unify. Any of this, and so I sort of respect them not even trying. Rob, let me ask you this: Where does this
0: movie rank in the in the canon of films about rock journalism? You know, we've got we've got almost famous and, sure. and high high fidelity, and uh, you know, there's some other some other texts. But where where does this sit in terms of um, reflecting some of your career pursuits on screen? <laughs>
2: OK, um, well, it's number three out of those three for sure. <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> wow. I'm, is there a fourth, first of all, or are we just going to have to? I think this trilogy is going to have to do it in terms of popular music dealing with rock journalism. I feel like that's like a rom-com job that some people have had, and it's sort of ancillary to the plot. But in terms of movies that are very explicitly about rock critic debates, I think this is only the third in modern history, and I think it's a distant three. Um, can I can, prob- I
0: can I share share something with you, Rob? Please. I just
2: I just googled the phrase "movies
0: about rock criticism." Okay. And two two of the first returns are Central Intelligence and San Andreas, starring The Rock. So Whoa. I don't I don't think that, um, and I guess those are movies
2: that were criticized. Is The Rock a music critic in San Andreas?
0: No, I think it, this is more a reflection of the fact that his name is The Rock.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a quarantine brain again. Um. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a distant third. I guess I'll go ahead and put Almost Famous at number 1, High Fidelity at number 2 because I relate to it a little too closely even now. But yeah, it's it's this is the first again, like I end up seeing movies all the time that recontextualize pop music in very disturbing ways. Like there was a Christmas Eve I took my kids to see Sing which is a movie about a singing, you know, like some sort of karaoke competition to save an old theater. And like they walked out of that wanting to hear baby got back on a loop for months. And I didn't care for that very much. And so in, in that respect, you know, there are thousands of movies. I feel like I've watched at this point that like sort of regurgitate pop music to my kids in disturbing ways, but this is the only movie we've ever watched in which it's theoretically about my job. And I kind of hope it's the last.
1: Rob, did you, point that out to them? Like, did you try to use this as a way to explain what daddy does on the computer all day?
2: No, I haven't gotten around to that. (laughs) We'll wait for We'll wait for month four of quarantine, you know, for bring my kid to work day, which means like bringing them into the home office with a door that i have here in this house i, I, I think i feel like a wall should continue to exist between my professional life and my, my personal life as much as possible i don't want to subject them to that unless we're really really bored basically but I'll, I'll i'll consider it i'll consider it.
0: i'd like to open the floor for any closing comments on the film trolls world tour here any any thoughts amanda something you need to get off your chest about this film
1: Well, I shared the classical music take, which, Mm. you know, I I'm still very angry about, even though I I don't really feel like any of the genres besides possibly country music were given their due in this film. I thought, you know, the country world had a nice bit of time and there was some, you know, reasoning behind their music theory approach. Yeah, I think that's it. What am I missing?
2: Well, you mentioned zero Pearl Bergen. Generally speaking, like, oh, that's right. I did enjoy
1: it. I really liked Prince Gristle. Sure. He was pretty goofy looking. He was. I mean, I I genuinely think it's funny when they have all the Bergens singing Clint Eastwood in a children's movie. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Right.
2: That's that's a song my kids really like. And so we listen to the original version and they're like there's like swear words in the original version. So that was a fun little interval there. But like, I, I like that the Bergens don't appear in this new movie at all, except like at the very end. And I sort of like the idea of the Bergens as the Vin Diesel of this franchise where they're like, we're way too good for this. Now we're going to go off and do prestige stuff. And like they're going to be back like three movies from now and be like, fine. Like this is this is our lot in life and we accept it. I, I, I do hope to see the Bergens again. Christine Baranski, of course, I believe was the was the especially evil Bergen. And, you know, we, we were pro Baranski around here. I understand. Yeah. So
1: she's yeah. like the the Dick Cheney Bergen.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: This has been a highly
0: political episode of this show. Um, so I, I assume that there will be a third film, though, before you jumped on, Rob. Amanda pointed out to me that there already is a Trolls TV show. Is that something that airs in your home?
2: I believe it does. Yeah, I want to say that's Netflix. And yes. yes, so yeah, I I have not gotten around to that yet. But there, yeah, there is a there is a rich extended universe. I yeah, I'm I'm I defer to the experts here, but I'm curious. Again, my kids we're vaguely aware that this movie existed, but certainly didn't know it was coming out on Friday and would have not have thought to clamor for it. And not certainly not to the degree where I would pay $20 to show it to them when I have Disney plus, when I have Netflix. And I just, I, again, I don't think there's any movie other than frozen two that would theoretically rise to that occasion. So I'm very curious to see how this movie does in that respect. Like if, you know, we're all locked down here and we're desperate to entertain our kids, but like, can this movie, which is fine, which is, it's, it's, it's totally acceptable as just distract the kids for two hours but like do we need it to be twenty dollars or is this just not going to work as currently constituted i'm really curious about that
0: so early returns are that the film has been a huge success on streaming Okay, there are obviously a lot of mitigating factors there one is the source of that information which is obviously not being made public but is only being shared by the company that produced the film the other is the fact that This is a previously existing universe, and so creating awareness for it or even being able to communicate to your kids, hey, you know the Trolls movie, this is another Trolls movie, makes it a little bit of an easier sell. Then we have some breaking news here, which is relevant to this conversation, but Disney just decided to move the release of Soul out of June 20th and into November 20th away from obviously this quarantine period that we're experiencing and soul is an original Pixar film it's a film with no IP attached to it with no universe it also seems um, unusually deep for an animated film Yes. yes and it might be a harder sell at home it might be a harder sell for your kids to say sit down and watch this movie about the depth of the human soul
2: I think Pixar movie would do it for them. They've seen that trailer probably half a dozen times in other movies, and so there is some familiarity. But yeah, I mean how I would sell that were I to sell that would be it's a Pixar movie. I mean it was the same with Onward, you know, which they they saw that trailer at least a dozen times, probably, and they got really into that. And so I I I, that sort of it the IP thing there is just Pixar and just you know that signifies for them not in the same way it signifies for me. Again, is sort of this emotional devastation that I'm preparing for. But like they want to see a new Pixar movie, you know, just for the lamp jumping on the Pixar let- letters at the beginning, you know. So we'll 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 do that one, I'm sure, and they will at least have some interest in doing that one.
0: Amanda, any any closing thoughts on this recent, most recent excursion into animation?
1: I will say I liked the colors. It's really mm. interesting to watch the difference between the, the movies that are definitely made for children and the movies that are made for adults and to, for Rob to have feelings, as he discussed. And there is something easier about watching these. I, I mean, it's more fun, obviously, because then you can just make fun of it for 45 minutes as we did. And I, I know sure. that a lot of people spent a lot of time and money making Trolls World Tour and a lot of small children you know, learned about the Spice Girls from this. So who am I to judge it? But There is a difference in the types of animation. And I do find this kind of specific kid animation easier to watch at home.
2: Right. Like Onward was very dour. Like it was very imaginative and very clever and and very happy in its own way. But yes, there is a huge difference just visually between watching Trolls and watching Onward. And I, I, I do think that they would gravitate more toward Trolls, obviously.
0: Well, guys, thank you for your your candor, your insight, (laughs) the depth of feeling that you brought to this podcast. It's been a a very special one. Um, We're trying to whiplash as aggressively as possible in the big picture during this very confusing period. So later on this week, we're going to be having a very special conversation about the 10 most essential erotic thrillers that you should watch during quarantine. I advise you to keep your children far, far away from those films and from this coming episode. Rob, thank you. Amanda, thank you. See you guys soon.